Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, May 24th of 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday, and this Sunday is May 29th. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 Eastern Time. For our friend Charles Willard, who may be joining us this morning at the 5.30 a.m., and our little team is working to be faithful to Lectionary Year C, and that puts us in the Gospel of John on Sunday. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. Here's how we do it. We develop perspectives independently after the leadoff person shares some formative questions. And then in this virtual discussion room, we share and encourage and sometimes challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's conversation. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. Sarah Mickelson, Tampa. Don Upton in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, but not really. I'm in Ohio today. I didn't even know where I was. Hello, everybody. And uh, our point person today is Bill Hull. And let me say that we're going to be joined by Charles Willard as well in just a few minutes. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Bill, you can get us started. And, uh, and, and hope we look forward to what you have in store for us today. Thank you. Good to be back. Uh, I'll, I'll begin with a few personal things, if I may. Last week, my wife and I were traveling overseas to Germany and Belgium to visit our two of our three grandsons, uh, and John Wells sat in on this, and I want to thank John for doing that. It was a delight to view the podcast later, and John, you did very well. You served the lectionary team and our viewers and listeners and me well with your insights. Thank you, John. And one other personal moment. And to my two American-born grandsons, I'm Poppy. But let's see if this will show up in Germany. Uh, is that showing? Opa? Uma <laughs> and Opa. You got it. <laughs> and I like the word Opa. It sort of has a whatever. Anyway, we had a delightful time, and uh, it's good to, to be back. Now, a, a brief a note of context, and then I will read our scripture and move to the questions. Um, we're going to read, uh, I will read in a moment from uh, John 17. It is the uh, true Lord's Prayer. It is Jesus's prayer to God, and um, it is in, it's this Sunday in all three years ABC of the lectionary calendar. In year A, it's verses 1 through 11 where Jesus prays for himself. Uh, year B, it's a, a bit of an overlay, verses 6 through 19, where Jesus prays for his disciples. And year C, which we're in, which primarily focuses on Luke, uh, in a moment I will read verses 20 to 26, where Jesus prays for those in the future who will believe in him through the words of the disciples. So the, the lectionary covers this lengthy chapter in three years, successive years. Now, uh, from the New Revised Standard Version, John 17, 20 to 26, the word of the Lord, let us listen. I ask not, on behalf, uh, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I 
in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Now, um, I said in the pre-recording conversation that uh, one of the scholars many of us refer to as Caroline Lewis, uh, professor at uh, Luther Seminary, I I recently listened to one of her sermons and then a sermon workshop in which she evaluated her own sermon. And her specialty is the Gospel of John. She has written a commentary on John that I have that's very, very well done. Um, She stressed in that workshop that whatever the passage is, the preacher must pay attention to the voice and tone of the passage. And in this passage, I hear Jesus's voice expressed with both a sense of intimacy and urgency, and that has shaped my questions for this week. Now, I'll go over the three questions. I will signal in advance. Question one is going to focus on God's glory. Uh, Question two, the prayer of Jesus that we be one. And question three will focus on love. Uh, Heads up, Sarah, this first question will be coming to you. In this third portion of Jesus' prayer, he twice refers to glory. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. And verse 24, Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. Sarah, what do you understand is the meaning of God's glory, and how do you sense that Christ has given God's glory to us today? Sarah? I think this is a a thing that's give and take, um, or give and receive um, might be the better way of of framing it. Um, It could be grace, but I really think it's love. (laughs) And I I think it goes with the same idea, a deep and abiding, tender, indivisible knowledge that we are loved. And um, and I think the glory of God is how he loves us and that we live in full comprehension of that. And that becomes the dynamic engine or, or a fuel system for how we operate and how we care for each other. 
Okay, thank you for your succinctness. <laughs> Don, uh, what for you is the meaning of God's glory, and how do you sense that Christ has given God's glory to us today? Uh, and uh, before I answer, I want to say that uh, Charles oh, Willard morning. has joined our podcast discussion today, and I want to say good morning to Charles. Ask him to mute <laughs> Good morning. If you'll mute your Zoom for us, too, uh, that would be great. And uh, I look forward to hearing your comments. Charles is calling in from Minnesota, uh, well, where I'm sure it's uh, 95 degrees like it is the rest of the United States right now, probably. Uh, well, I, it's I, like 40 from that. If you'd mute your Zoom for us, please, Charles, that would be great. Thank you. And uh, on creation, I, sir, I wrote down, you said give and take. And I would add to that, uh, the voice of God is, uh, and I insist. Uh, and I insist, and I and it will be, it shall be, uh, and Christ is insisting that uh, as he prays in full view of us 2,000 years ago and in full view of the disciples as we observe that, looking to the future, looking to the past, all of it. So I just wanted to write in the margins and say, give and take, I insist. Uh, and I'm my scripture is filled with notes from so many pastors and commentators. I don't know. I can't source it anymore. Maybe that's part of the glory too, that I, I can't actually find a single source except maybe the creator in this conversation that I've been having about this all my life, because we have the fact of the creator, but then, and the fact of the universe and an active creator, but then it's the engagement where the glory comes in. It's not that it's glorious, it's the glory happens because we overhear this prayer. So I would just add to that, uh, there's something to do with spectatorship too. That I'm not I'm not generating the glory, the disciples are not generating the glory, that there is a because it's it's all about the glory of Christ, you you, you observe it. Uh, and I'm thinking I I read some of the translation that Mark Davis did and I and I'm I'm paraphrasing, so forgive me, <laughs> but the, I had a sense of spectatorship and an active spectatorship of what the creation really looks like and a beholding that looks like and our commentary and our prayer, just this active awareness and that if there's something that's happening going forward as Christ prays of what's going to happen in the future, I want to resonate with other parts of the scripture that there's an amplification that takes place with the followers of Christ by that awareness. As a spectator, you amplify as saying, if you point things out, almost like John the Baptist, see, see, maybe that's our job. There's a magnification of what's going on, uh, which kind of goes back to the, the mother of Jesus. So those are my, those are my thoughts, Bill. And you tapped in a little bit to last week's conversation about Amplification and repeaters. Yes, yes, right. you, you, yes. Uh, Sarah, Sarah you've got to make that connection now. So do it again. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Uh, Charles, welcome. Um, your thoughts on what is the meaning of God's glory and how do you sense that Christ has given God's glory to us today? Charles? I thought about that a long time as I worked with the passage, and I must confess, I don't think that we have any sense of what God's glory is. I mean, we, we talk about it, but 
we I don't I don't know how if somebody said, Well, what was what was the last time you felt God's glory? I'd have to say I don't think about it that way. I mean that's that's simply not a term that I bring into my own conversations and my own reflections on this book of John. Um I'm I'm convinced that we we don't do a good job of trans of moving back and forth between John and between the other three gospels. And I think it's not because it's an either or, it's because it's a both and. And I don't think that we have very good experience in the in 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 thinking about things like John does and to try to make it 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 for me I've I've discovered it doesn't work. Okay, thank you, Charles. In a sense, I, I will build on what you said. Uh, I had the, somewhat the same reaction uh, as I was preparing to frame my questions, and I seek to, at least sometimes, as often as I can, to frame the questions based on what I need to struggle with, and I identify with your statement about not really knowing what that means. So rather than look for a definition, I focused on, I did a word study online in the New Revised Standard Version of every place in Scripture that this word or a form of it appeared. And I'm not going to go over all, what did I find out, 400 and sometimes that it appears. Um, But I will highlight a couple of things. First of all, I thought of the creation story. We are created in the image of God. I think that's part of the glory of God in us. And then in verse 24 of today's passage, uh, Jesus says, God, you loved me before the foundation of the world. That's echoed in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 where we are told that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the earth. So we are uh, participants in God's glory before we were conceived, before the foundation of the earth. Um, Glory appears 443 times in Scripture in the New Revised Standard Version. In Exodus 40, it says, In the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It has to do with the fullness of God. And then Psalm 8, we are made a little lower uh, than God and crowned with glory. We are endowed with God's glory. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, the famous, the word became flesh, and we have seen his glory, the glory of as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Glory has to do with grace and truth. And then at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, in chapter 2 of John, it said Jesus did this, the water to wine, the first of his signs, to reveal his glory, and his disciples believed in him. God's glory is revealed in acts of kindness and graciousness. And then... Early in chapter 17 of John, 
verse 5. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. Uh, just a couple of others. Second uh, Corinthians 4, it makes it clear that God's glory in us is a gift from God so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. So to me, glory has to do with the presence and essence of God. Uh, God is one who endows all of creation with his fullness and loves all creation with an everlasting love. The very essence of God is glory, and by God's choice, that is in us. And Christ is our salvation, and like the early disciples, Jesus Christ calls and enables us to share God's glory with all of creation. As one who tends to want to focus more on the practical rather than the sort of esoteric and theoretical of theology, I'm left with the clear message that I experience and share God's glory in my day-to-day acts of caring for others as Jesus cares for us. Second question, and Don, I'm going to come to you first in a moment. Three times Jesus expresses the hope that his disciples may be one, verse 21, 22, and 23, and also earlier in verse 11. What does it mean to be one as Jesus uses the term, and how well are we living this promise today? Don? It's a big challenge, I think. We have 2,000 years that move forward from here, and (laughs) the idea of one, I I think it's okay to reflect on getting it wrong. It's a, you know, this is a bad metaphor for the time of Christ, but it gets off the rails sometimes, because oneness is something that I think folks like to enforce, <laughs> and uh, that's not the point. Uh, so I think I appreciate your question just because I think reflecting on it and talking about it is important, and that oneness uh, is uh, it, it's important because we're asked to meditate on it as individuals, not as a monolithic one people. But we are, uh, you know, we are addressed, and Christ is addressing his followers and prays for them in a very personal individual way. We as individuals come in and discuss the oneness. So I would, I would say uh, to help it's in looking at when this prayer takes place and what's about to take place, it's not being scattered, but it's not scattering and that we have scattering demonstrated at times here. And then Christ brings them back together, even after the trauma of, of Golgotha, they still are trying to find, they're, tr- they're still getting together in the Gospels. They're still needing each other. So not scattering is, I think, important. And, th- and that says that you return to each other. You return to each other in love. You always remember that you return to each other. And if you look at, you were citing some of the letters in the New Testament that there's, there's language all through them. is I miss you. I can't wait to see you again. I'm thinking about you, and that's what reflects uh, Christ's prayer that we're talking about today is you are on my mind all the time. I can't wait to see you. We are not scattered. I'm always returning to you. That's Christ-like language. Uh, 
I think another is it's not enclaved. Um, it's not uh, tribal. Uh, it's always moving out and walking and moving. And moving is important. You've got, got to keep going. Moving in thought and mind and body. Go, go, go. Greet each other. Greet each other. Tell each other we miss them. Keep moving. Uh, and I think it's also not storing up, not hoarding, uh, not kind of like uh, a transfiguration with the, those who were asked to go up to the mountain with Jesus to see it. says, oh, well, stop right here. Let's build a tent. <laughs> Let's freeze time right here. No, move. Be, beware of, of finding places and settling down. So don't store up. It's more of a pouring out. Than a, than a storing up. Uh, and then I'll just circle back to uh, you know, that it's unified, but it's still individual. Because if I look at uh, not being enclaved and not being trial, tribal and not scattering, but sticking together and always moving and moving and moving, that this just highlights uh, not hanging out with the, the club not hanging out with the team, whatever that might be, whatever that tribe might be, beware. I think there's a great caution in this when Christ talks about oneness, beware. Oneness is not what makes you feel good. Oneness doesn't look like you. Oneness is not everything that you may assume. Oneness is much better. Uh, but you have to move. You've got to move. Got to return. Got to tell people you love them. Got to come back. Uh, those are my thoughts. Thank you, John. Uh, Charles, what does it mean to be one in Christ, and how are we doing with this? Well, I'll say for myself, as I've looked at uh, and and struggled to working with John, I have simply great difficulty. The language that he uses is not language that is familiar to us, and I've got to stop and do something else right now. Excuse me. Okay. Sarah, we can come back to you, Charles, if you're... Oh, are you ready again, Charles? I've said enough. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. Um, I think it's a living process. Uh, The idea that becoming one, it's the striving to become one in thought and deed with the Father. I think that's the goal. Now, as flawed creatures, we do this with stop and start success. Um, there's joy in Jesus loved and seeing others the way that Jesus sees us. I was reminded of a song that I learned at summer camp that's sung in a round, and it starts off with happiness runs in circular motion. Like a little ship across, upon the sea, you can be a part of anytime, anywhere. All you have to do is set yourself free. So that reminded me of Celtic knots. That reminded me of endless knots that are a part of the um, Hinduism and Jainism and Buddhism process. Um, this idea that there's no start and there's no finish. It's a constant movement toward, if you will, God's glory. Um, so for me, this sense of oneness is standing in the presence with full awareness 
and moving toward it continually. I'm, I'm going to drop off of that into mysticism at some point. <laughs> okay, thank you, Sarah. Uh, not to be flippant, but when I read this, there's a sense in which I want to say to Jesus, what were you thinking? You called one of the most diverse group of people, fishermen, tax collector, one who would betray you, a couple of guys who heard you talk about preaching and the first time they experienced rejection in a Samaritan city, they want you to call down fire from heaven and destroy the, the village. Why, Jesus, would you ever think there could be a, a oneness? Um, and yet Jesus consistently modeled for these disciples what I think at least a part of what the oneness meant. In spite of their diversity, Jesus modeled for them preaching, teaching, feeding, healing, uh, engaging with what the world considers the least of these. He gave the same commission to all of these diverse disciples uh, to, to visit people in prison. We, we, we know the list. Um, and he, we know the story in John 21 when Jesus and Peter are interacting, but I'm more and more hear that as Jesus talking to every disciple of all time. All of us are Simon Peter. We have failed. We have fallen short. We have denied. And in some ways, we have betrayed. And Jesus says, my take on it is, you're forgiven. Now go back to work. Go back to feeding and tending uh, others who are in need. Therefore, it seems to me the oneness has to do with not focusing on their differences, but rather working together to carry out the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ. And somewhat echoing what I heard you say a couple of times, Don, often the distinction is made between the difference between unity and uniformity. We don't have unif we don't all wear the same uniform. We don't all look the same. Unity has to do with an ability to transcend the individual ego and to work together with others for the greater good. Now, nobody needs to linger long on telling how much over the centuries and in the here and now the body of Christ looks like anything but one body. We have divided ourselves over theological issues and mainly, I think, driven by conflict. But I want to finish these comments noting that there are signs of unity. Uh, Palmasia Christian Church is a part of hope. Uh, I live in Pinellas County where we have an organization called FAST. We work interfaith, nonpartisan for social justice. Sybil and I are involved in the affordable housing focus of, of FAST. And not once in the years I've been in FAST have we ever argued about theology or biblical interpretation. I'm sure we could. It is one of the most diverse 
engagements theologically, racially, uh, religiously that I've ever been in. And yet there is unity in our seeking uh, to work for justice. Another personal illustration that I'll quickly end with. The longest pastor that I had was in Manatee County. It was a favorite place for college students on spring break. More than once, I got a phone call from a total stranger who was a member of a Presbyterian church out of state who called their pastor and said, my son or daughter has been arrested. They're in jail. How can I can't reach them? The pastor looks up and says, well, one of the Presbyterian churches in Manatee County is Kirkwood Presbyterian Church. And I got a call from a total stranger who said, would you go and visit my son or daughter? And I did. Now, I don't want to dwell on that, but, uh, but they knew that they could call me, in, in this case, because I was a Presbyterian pastor. I think that's a signal of the unity that, that's possible. Um, I think we are one in Christ. We often choose not to act as if we are. All right, my third question. Jesus concludes this chapter and his prayer by saying, so that the love with which you, Father God, have loved me may be in them and I in them. Again, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What might it mean for us today to be loved by God as Jesus was loved? Uh, I will begin. Each time the word love is used, in the original Greek, it's agape. I, imagine, I know my team members know this. I assume all of our listeners and viewers know us know that in biblical Greek, there's more than one word which we translate in English as love. Agape is the highest kind of love. It is the love of God, unmerited, unreserved, uh, offered to everybody. It is, to me, audacious to be told that I am called to love others as God has loved me. Uh, a true agape love is very difficult, but it is powerful. And so, when Jesus says that he has been loved by God and he wants us to know that love, he is using that uh, very powerful word. Uh, we know John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Uh, God's gift of his glory to us and in us, God's gift of our oneness in Christ, the previous two questions, it seems to me, are expressions of what it means to be loved by God. God gives us his glory. Uh, he gives us the gift of, of wonder. This past Sunday, I led uh, Pomacea Christian Church every Sunday is focusing on a book of the Bible. This past Sunday, it was Proverbs. I led the adult faith formation class on that. In my study of Proverbs, a verse in there Velcroed itself to me that I don't ever remember reading before. I'm sure I did. 
Now, this is talking about wisdom. Uh, It says, then I was beside him like a master worker, and I was daily God's delight, playing before God always, playing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the human race. What a powerful image, I think, of what it means to be loved by God. This is almost, you know, we uh, uh, of the uh, Calvinistic faith supposedly believe if we're ever having fun, we must be doing something wrong. (laughs) And I love this. I am God's delight. I can play before God, play in God's inhabited world, and delight in the human race. What a vision. And I will conclude with a quote from N.T. Wright in his book, Surprised by Hope. He has a section commenting on all of John 17, and he concludes his comments by saying, the extraordinary, unique, intimate relationship that Jesus himself has enjoyed with the Father is now open to all his followers. I love that. Sarah. Does anybody know what a Mobius strip is? Yes. So it's a one-sided, no-boundary item. It looks like a rubber band with a single twist in it. And what's interesting is you can run your finger across the surface of the Mobius strip and you never uh, have to take your finger off. You just go round and round and round and there's no top, there's no bottom. It can, you just completely, if you were to walk on it, it would take you in, in one continuous motion. Um, I think that if we were effective at being one with the Father and loving um, each other in that capacity, the glory of God would be revealed. Um, and I think that's miraculously what's happened sporadically in the history of Christianity to keep it alive, um, that the church in some capacity, whether in individuals or as a, as a body, um, figures out how to love each other in such a way that people are naturally drawn to it, and that's the church showing the world how God loves and how we love each other, are drawn to Jesus for that reason. So in your question, what might it mean for us today to be loved by God as Jesus was loved? It means we would have the capacity to love someone else in the same way. Thank you. Charles. I'm going to pass. Thanks. Okay. Don. Again, picking up on where Sarah left off, the capacity to love each other in that way. Uh, some of the great sermons. It's, it's a, I think it's kind of a tradition with this that there are pastors. We've had two in church where I worship with you folks for years. Uh, bring it up. I could hear John Debevoise is the senior pastor at the church that makes this podcast possible. When have you observed? heard someone pray for you. 
which is just this wonderful meditation. What is that like? How does that feel? What was the first time? What is that like? And it's, a, it's just a great meditation because it takes us into the past, which this one does too. If I just hold that out, I think there are many sermons on this subject that have started with those words. So the past, the past prayers for each other are still out there. And those are the things I remember. I don't know the future prayers. I don't know today's prayers, but I remember the past. And I want to highlight those as things that are alive and shaping, shaping the present, shaping our health. There's health in us. That we're over here together. That, that might be connected to the past, just like we're connected to this prayer that Jesus is making. So I just wanted to highlight that. And then that I don't want to get legalistic about it, but this is, I think, about a kind of prayer, which is praying for people. Not praying for circumstances, and not praying for politics, and not praying for whatever it is. It, this is about people. This is prayers for people. And I just want to hold that out. There are other kinds of prayers, but I think it's important. That this is, and if it is about uh, about people, then it requires, it does require intimacy, the intimacy that, uh, Sarah, you were talking about with uh, the creator, but with each other. How can I pray? And I think about, you know, where's the urgent prayer uh, without understanding? I think of those that are in crisis today. We all know people in crisis today. And the more I know, the more earnestly, urgently, passionately I pray. I must know them. I must know their circumstances. And I have to be in a group. I have to be one with people to go, how is she doing? Have you heard from her? I need to know. And maybe that's my job sometimes. Where are they? What has happened today? So I, I, I want to highlight this. Is, this one's about people and knowing where they are and where they're going. Uh, and then uh, because it's, it's, it's human, I'll go back to just the witnesses to, to prayer matters for me. So my, my takeaway in terms of love in the prayer is uh, that kind of earnestness that is probably represented by people that pray for their beloved, their children, their families, their grandparents, their closeness, that I think that's what I'm meditating on today. When did I see someone that loved me, not just someone that's a friend, not just, I mean, I mean somebody that loved me, like a parent, pray for me. What is that like to observe that? What is it for my children to observe me, to pray? And, you know, I'm thinking about if there's a crisis of some kind, if there's an intimate urgency, I can think of things like, and I knew my mammoth, my parent, my grandparent, my best friend would move heaven and earth to help. That urge, you know, when have I experienced that last? When have I gone into that dimension? I would move heaven and earth. Oh, Lord, move heaven and earth for this person, please, because I have this intimate relationship. I love them. So those are the things that it's more of a reflection about love and prayers and a direct answer to your question, but that's all I've got. Thanks, Bill. All right. Back to you, Don. Well, thank you. Uh, enjoyed this today. Thank you. It's always great coming back to this prayer, and it's good to have you back, Bill. Uh, and for those listening in, Palmasia Presbyterian Church, 
is at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We always commend that site to you for uh, great sermons, um, reflections on Scripture, uh, disagreements and scriptural studies, prayers, the opportunity to take communion, and outstanding music. And you're always welcome, and we'll see you next time.